0: Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please, don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. If you need a Bible this morning, the ushers are standing there, just wave at them, and um, they'd be happy to pass one to you. If you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, where we're going to be this morning, and also 1 Samuel chapter 12, Matthew 7, 1 Samuel 12. Now, I would encourage you right now not to look at your watches. Um, God's going to do something great this morning, and He's going to do it quickly. Um, You you act like you don't believe me. Um, Don't trust me, just trust Him. Um, This morning, we're going to look at what has probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I would say that in this generation, this verse is probably quoted more than even John 3.16. And um, it's also, in my opinion, the most misinterpreted verse in the Bible. But even people who don't know the Lord will quote this. They may not even know it came from the Bible, but they will quote it. In In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you the first part is what is often quoted judge not that you be not judged what has come to mean in our culture you can't say anything is wrong because then that would be judgment then you would be judging and if you judge then you're going to be judged that is not what jesus is saying here how do i know that i'll show you because the context tells us what he means one of the things you'll learn in that Bible study class is that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. The Bible explains itself if we look, and so we um, we get this idea, and we're told, and you stand, you have a you have a standard, you you stand for something that you believe. The Lord says this is right and this is wrong. Is the Bible when it says, "Judge not." lest you be judged, is it saying we can't do that, we shouldn't do that? No. The other places in Scripture, it tells us that we must be discerning in that way. How do we know um, if something is loving or unloving if we don't discern, if we don't judge? How do we know, And we're told to be loving, right, not unloving. How do we know someone is free or in bondage or we're free or in bondage if we don't discern, if there's not judgment that takes place? If there, and the word literally means that it means to take and to discern between one thing and another. Is it good or bad? Is it is it healthy or unhealthy? Is it godly or ungodly? The scripture tells us, in another place, in fact, in Matthew chapter eighteen, it talks about, hey, there's a way that we come alongside one another and say, you know what? This isn't, this doesn't line up with Jesus' teaching, with His words, with what He said in in His, in his word. That is an appropriate thing. Galatians 6 tells us that we do this. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that we do this. So Jesus did not mean here that you can never say anything's right or wrong. Because if you do, you're judging. That's not what he's saying. The primary focus of this first part of Matthew chapter 7 isn't that we would not judge or discern. It's that we would start that judgment or discernment with ourselves. Look what he says. This is how we know that's the context. Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? That little piece of dirt in his eye. But do not notice the log (laughs) that is in your own eye. Isn't that a great picture? you got this big old log sticking out of your eye. Let me go over here and see if I can help David with the speck that's in his while I beat him up with my log. You know? It's, it's, it's 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 a humorous picture. But it's not humorous when it's happening to you or when you're experiencing it. We have this great big thing in our own eye, this great big fault in ourselves, but I'm going to fix you. Jesus says, no, no, no. You misunderstand. It is very easy to accept God's grace for yourself and not give it to someone else. Very easy. We want it. We want God's grace and His mercy when it comes to us. When it comes to you, I want His justice. Jesus said, I want to do something about that heart. Judge, don't judge that way. That's not what I intended judgment and discernment to be. He said, it starts with you. You look at you. Now, let's, let's finish reading this, and then we're going to make some practical application to it. All right? Um, verse 4 Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. That's what this is really about. It's not about judging or discerning. This passage is about hypocrisy. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly. See, your vision is messed up because of your own stuff. So you can't see anybody else clearly because of your own stuff. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. As much as we've heard this, if you've been around church much at all, You've heard this taught in some form or fashion. You've heard people talk about it, teach it in classes. As much as we've heard it, it may be one of those things that is least practiced in the church of Jesus Christ. Because it's just easier to judge. It's easier to see somebody else's fault. And in some ways, it makes us feel better about us. (laughs) It's like, I thought I was pretty bad, then I saw you. And, (laughs) whoa. I'm not as bad as I thought I was. I'm feeling pretty good about me. Which is the problem. Because it's all based in self-righteousness. Every bit of it. Jesus said, I, I want to tell you something. He said, you need to discern between what's right and wrong. what's good." By my spirit, let me help you with that. You need to understand when I tell you something that's truth, even if everything else and every other voice in your life says it isn't. You need to discern between those things. Judge between those things. But when it comes to your relationships with other people, When you are motivated, prompted, when you feel the desire to correct someone else, that is your first clue to stop and say, Holy Spirit, is there something in me that's causing me to see this in them? Start there. Before you say a word to that person, start there. Jesus said, deal with your own stuff first then you're going to be able to see much clearer. Why is that? First of all, they may not even have the issue you think once you get your own eyesight cleared up. You may not be seeing it correctly. But even if there is an issue there, the way that Jesus works in you, you know he'll work in them. You'll have experience. You'll have encounters with the Lord and seen his power at work in your own life. Someone came up to me during the break and said, you're talking about God delivering you from fears and bitterness and anger. How did he do that? And And so what I was able to do in just a few minutes there is say, hey, here are some of my experiences of walking with the Lord. Now, I didn't walk up to this individual and say, you know what, you're sinning because you're fearful because the Bible says 450 times not to sin, so cut it out. (laughs) That's how we deal with people though, isn't it? Honestly, that's why I dealt with my children for a long time. It doesn't work any better with kids than it does with adults. I don't need you to tell me how messed up I am. I, got a pretty, I live with me. I got a pretty good idea. And the same is true for you. What I need is someone to come alongside and say, you know what, I understand what you're going through. I've been right there. And you know what I want to tell you first of all? Jesus loves you. He loves you. But I'm, I messed up. I screwed up. Yeah, you did. He loves you. So have I. So am I. I still do. <laughs> I haven't reached that place of perfection yet. It's a different spirit, folks. It's this. Now, what I have learned in my own life is that when something really irks me, when someone really irks me, when they really get all over my last nerve, most of the time, the Holy Spirit's trying to point something out in my life I'm blind to. Most of the time. That doesn't mean that they're without fault. Okay, don't hear me say that. I'm not saying they're without fault. I'm simply saying that the Lord often, maybe most of the time, in my experience, wants me to deal with me first. Because there's things... For example, you see someone and you just think they're arrogant and prideful. They're just full of themselves. And yet, I don't see myself as arrogant and prideful. And the Lord says, the reason you see that so much in them is because it's in you. I want to deal with that in you. They're disrespectful. Well, maybe you're disrespectful. Well, they're not grateful. Are you grateful? Well, they're not doing the right thing. Are you doing the right thing? the Holy Spirit loves to do this. He loves to use other people as a mirror, if you will, as a catalyst to cause us to stop and to look back and say, you know the old saying, you all have heard this, if you point one, if I point one finger at David, i got four pointing back at me. There's some truth in that. Now, that is the truth. You all understand that. You'll nod. I don't think anybody's going to stand up and say, that's heresy. No, we don't believe that. All right? We accept that intellectually. How do you do it? I want to tell you, the, the, in my opinion, the root of judgment is pride. So There has to be a humility. And this really is, in my opinion, it is a daily, and I don't think just mine, because the Scripture seems to bear this out. The scripture says that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and He lifts us up. It says that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And without grace, you don't have either the desire or the ability to do what God intends for you to do. Because the very definition of grace, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That is grace. God giving you both the desire and then the power to accomplish the desire. That's grace. If you don't have grace, if God is resisting you and he's not pouring out your gr- his grace or even he is pouring it out, but you're resisting it, you're not receiving it, you do not have desire or power to do his will. So this is important. That daily, Lord, I want to understand what it means to humble myself. God, help me in this. Use people around me that are trustworthy and faithful, men and women, to help me in this. I'm so grateful for Lori. Because there's a, there's a humility about Lori, but she, God uses her often in my life to point out, and she'll do it in a sweet way. You know, I will be being a jerk. I mean, as my dad used to say, a horse's patoot. All right? But I'm right when I'm doing it. Okay, you understand. I'm in the right. Not always. Rarely. But anyway... Um, that's that's another message for another day. And Lori will come up sweetly and she'll say, "What exactly were you thinking as you were, as you were doing this, or you said that, or what's what's your thought process with all this? What do you mean? What my thought process is? It'll be clear. This is right. and That's wrong. And you know, but I, the Lord uses that in my life. She's not come up to me and say, Troy, you're being a jerk. You need humility." You need to humble yourself. you need to receive God's grace. You didn't say that. I probably wouldn't be very open to it. But there's something how the Holy Spirit will use that. There is a role that you and I play in one another's lives to be able to help each other grow in grace. There is a role that we play in that, but the way that we do it is critical, and that's what Jesus is teaching here. It's not that we don't do it, it's how we do it that makes all the difference in the world. If you have, if you're going to try to deal with someone else, whatever that means, whatever that looks like in your situation, and you have fear, anger, bitterness, resentment, dread, I mean, all of these things that are going on in your heart, all of these negative emotions that are taking place, you probably haven't spent enough time with the Holy Spirit doing something in you before you talk to them. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't produce all of that. He produces love and joy and peace and gentleness. And gratefulness, patience, long suffering. He does that. That's what he does. So, the primary thing, if you and I are going to apply this on a daily basis, is when someone irritates you, ask the Holy Spirit, What's going on in me that you want to address? Is there something happening here? That doesn't mean that they're in the right, okay? Please, because there's a sense of justice in us. And we think, but they're doing the wrong thing. I get that. But God, it's amazing. John Piper calls it spectacular sins. God can do the wrong thing that somebody else does to produce the right thing in me. Isn't that good? He can take the wrong thing in somebody else to produce the right thing in me if I'll receive it. So I'm not saying that the person who's irritating you is right. I'm just saying it's not as important as you think. I want to tell you a story. You better come start playing, all right? (laughs) Number one, humble yourself. All right, ask the Holy Spirit. When someone's irritated you, ask the Holy Spirit, what's going on in me that's causing this irritation? Is there something that you want to address in me? That is not excusing bad behavior on the other part. It's just dealing with me first. That's what Jesus is teaching. Deal with you first. Let me deal with you first before you go try to deal with someone else. Here's the second part of this, and this has been so beneficial in my life. And I heard someone else as I was talking this week sharing a very similar story. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, there is an amazing verse there. Samuel is the last of the judges. You remember the judges? There's a whole book in the Old Testament called the book of Judges. It's a period of time about 1,100 years before Jesus in the life of Israel where every man does what's right in his own eyes. The scripture says that there was no there was no clear or updated spoken word in that time. In other words, people weren't hearing God speak. They weren't having revelation. There wasn't a powerful move of God as there had been at one time in Israel. And there was a there's a pattern in the book of Judges. If you read through it, you'll see it over and over again. The people do their own thing, they get themselves in trouble. God allows them to get themselves in trouble. Usually he allows their enemies around them to come gobble them up and take them into captivity and slavery. They get whooped badly. And then they remember, oh yeah, this God that we serve, he's the one that we should be looking to. And so they cry out to him and God has mercy and grace on them. And he sends someone, usually to help lead them out of where they find themselves. And they rejoice in that and they worship him for a little while and they serve and then they forget him and they go back into the cycle all over again. That's the book of Judges in a nutshell. And so they would send these judges, and usually God would send these judges, they were warrior deliverers. They were strong. They would lead the armies. They would lead the people. They'd go out and they'd do battle and they'd win. And Israel would rejoice. And God is great, they'd praise Him. And you have this history of judges. Until the last one, Samuel, comes along. He's not a warrior. Or at least not in the traditional sense that they were used to. They were used to a Gideon who would take and get out in front of the the men and even if it was just 300, they'd get out and they'd go win a great victory by the power of God. Or a Samson who would take up the bone of a dead animal and kill a thousand Philistines with it. That's what they were looking for. That made sense to Israel. That's the kind of leader, that's the kind of judge that we need. God sends the last one, he's Samuel. He's a prophet, he's a judge. He's not a leader like that. He doesn't lead them into battle that way. As a matter of fact, Samuel wins battles in prayer. That's how he wins. matter of fact, you remember, we we sing it here sometimes, the old song, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. There's a line in there that says, here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto by thy help I've come. That word is in 1 Samuel chapter 7. In a victory that Israel won because Samuel prayed. And he called the people to pray. And they won this great victory. God sent thunder and lightning and different things. And and the the Israels, they just wiped out the Philistines. And took cities back that had been lost. And the scripture says there in 1 Samuel 7 that it was years before the Philistines dared to come back mess with them. And Samuel said, let's put a stone here. Let's put a pillar here as a reminder of what God has done and who he is. That we didn't do it, we cried out to him and he did it. And let's call it Ebenezer. That's where it comes from. That's from Samuel and his leading of the people. Samuel is interesting because his name means answered prayer. Answered prayer. His mom, Hannah, Hannah, cried out for him. She was barren. She didn't have any children. And she was heartbroken over it. She loved her husband. She wanted to give him children. She, there was a, his, her husband had another wife, Paniah, who mocked Hannah because she didn't have children. And she's grieving. And what is she doing? She's at the temple and she's pouring out her heart. She's crying out to God. God and Eli, the high priest, comes and rebukes her because he th- thinks she's drunk. She's not drunk. She- her heart's broken. And she's just pouring it out before the Lord. And the Lord heard her prayer, and a year later, she's bringing little Samuel and dedicating him to the Lord. And he stays there in the temple. And every year, she brings him clothes, and she sees him growing, and God's doing. And a few years later, he's, as he's growing up, the Lord begins to teach Samuel what it is to hear his voice. He speaks to Samuel. And Samuel didn't know what it was. He runs into Eli and said, you called me. And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. And finally, Eli is catching on. Even though he's not hearing God, he's realizing that Samuel is. He says, go back and say, here I am, Lord. What do you have to say? I'm listening. Samuel began this journey of learning how to hear God's voice and how to talk to Him, how to cry out. And he demonstrated that all through his ministry as a judge to the people, as a prophet to the people, crying out to the Lord, praying, and God moving mightily, in response to prayer on behalf of the people. That story we talked about in 1 Samuel 7. But not long after that, the people look around. Even though God is moving and working, and Samuel's leading and demonstrating to them how you call on God and have God literally be the ruler, the king, the judge, the the one that we look to as a nation. The people say, we want a king. We want a king. We want to be like all the people around us. We don't like having to cry out to God and wait and see what he's going to do. We don't like to have to trust that way. We don't like to have faith. This is hard. It's not easy. It's not natural. And everybody else does it a different way. We want to do it like everybody else does it. That's Troy's translation, by the way. All right. And Samuel's hurt and he's upset. He's like, What have I given my life for? To have these people just turn their back on God and everything. Then the Lord says, Samuel, let's I'm gonna give them what they asked for. And I want you to anoint this new king. And he does, Saul. I mean, he looks the part. He's tall and he's strong, and everybody says, Yeah, he's the right. He's the leader. He was not a good leader. And it became apparent really quickly that he was not. He disobeyed God and he, just, he's, he actually went and consulted with, with witches and mediums to try to get answers and information. Samuel comes back to him, sent by the Lord to reprove Saul to point out what he's doing and how he's leading the people but Samuel, Saul's not open to that really and the people really aren't open to it and so if I'm Samuel at this point I think well I did my best I poured out my life for you folks you bunch of ingrates I'm done I'm out of here you do what you want to do I'm gone. Me and God, we're good. I'm I'm getting out of here. That's what I would do. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Isn't that how we feel sometimes? Isn't that how we feel sometimes with people? I've done all I can do for you, I have poured it out. And here you are. Notice what Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12. Verse 22, I think, or 23. Is it up there on the screen? If not, I'll just read it to you. There it is. 1 Samuel twelve twenty-two. Even after all of that, Samuel said, For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake. Even though you've done this and you've rejected Him, He will not forsake you for His great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. Now notice the next verse. Moreover, as for me, this is Samuel speaking, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. When it comes to judgment, I first humble myself. God, humble me. Show me what's in me. And then secondly, and this will change your life when God teaches you and empowers you to do this, you begin to pray for people this way. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Even though you're doing the wrong thing, even though you're going the wrong way and your heart is turned the wrong way, God forbid that I would sin against the Lord and cease to pray for you. I would cry out for you. And he's not praying, oh God, bring judgment. Bring, bring fire down on them. That's why he's praying. He's praying for a move of God in their life. And he's praying for Saul. In chapter 15, even after Saul rejects everything, and it's all, as Dean said last week, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Even after all of that, the scripture says that Samuel grieved over Saul. That word doesn't mean he just went around sobbing. The word literally means there was fasting, there was prayer. His heart was broken, but it moved him to fast, it moved him to pray, it moved him to continue to cry out, God, do a work here. You say, well, Troy, it didn't do any good, look where Saul ended up, end up disgracing himself and com- he, he led the people astray, committed suicide, it was, it was all bad, it, it didn't work, it didn't do any good that, Saul, that Samuel prayed for Saul. You're not looking at the story right. Who came after Saul? David. Samuel's crying out, and you say, Well, it was just in the heart of God to have this little shepherd boy who was going to have the heart for God, and, and actually, Messiah is going to come through his line. Don't you understand that God, in his wisdom, in his providence, a word we don't use much, And his understanding of the whole moved in Samuel to say, I want you to cry out and call out for Saul. This isn't as much about Saul as is what I'm doing in David and those who will come after. I'm going to save the world as a direct result of what I do in, in, in answer to your prayer. The one that I raise up. Some of you are praying for people and praying for stuff and it hasn't changed. And you think, it's not doing any good. That's because all you can see is that little situation. That's all you can see. You do not have the perspective to see the bigger ho- the hole. You don't. And I don't. But God does. He knows what he's doing. He's moving. He's working. You're sitting here today. You're enjoying the move of God and what he's doing. Because people prayed years ago and, and when we were in a different place. And it was a different season. I wasn't even here. But they were praying, crying out. And it didn't look like God was answering their prayer. It didn't look that way. As a matter of fact, it looked like it went from bad to worse. But God was doing something. God forbid that I would sin against him in ceasing to pray for you. I'm praying for the move of God in his people. And there was a move of God in the people of God. Because David became the answer to Samuel's prayer. Matter of fact, Samuel was the one who's going to have the privilege of anointing this young guy. But even Samuel missed it at first. He's like, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> All these other, there's seven other brothers. Here. All of them look more qualified than this little shepherd boy out here. No, this is the one I picked. This is the answer, Samuel. This is the answer. I want you to stand with me. Stand with me. I do not want you to look at anyone right now, okay? But who's irritating you right now? All right? Don't look at anybody. Look up here at me. I'll be everybody's in irritation this morning. So, well, pastor, right now you are my irritation. All right, so look this way. Look this way. You're not looking at anybody else. I don't want you to say it. I don't want you to communicate it in any way. But would you be willing to listen to Jesus this morning when he says, judge not. Don't judge. Don't go try to fix them first. Let me do something in you this morning. Let me do something in you. Would you come to me and say, Jesus, do something in me today. Do something in me. Show me. Speak by your Spirit. Show me what you want to change. Show me what I'm not seeing. Show me the pride that I don't see. Show me the lies that I'm believing that you want to cast down. Show me. Lord Jesus I'm not loving not the way you do would you spread love abroad in my heart would you do a work we're not excusing sin this is not saying that nothing is wrong that is not what Jesus is teaching he's simply saying you and I are in no position to help anyone else until the spirit helps us we give based on what we have received. That's how we give. We are conduits of His grace, His love, His mercy, and nothing more. Now would you go a step further? And if someone really has hurt you, or irritates you, or just, it's a mess, this next one is hard. But every time that happens, and that stirs up in you, Would you allow it to be by the power of God at work in you a reminder, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. Not that God would get them. Not that it would all go badly. Pray for them the very things. Ask God to do for them what you'd like for him to do for you. Ask him to demonstrate his power and believe that he's good even if you can't see it immediately, that he's still good, he's still faithful him. Would you pray that the Holy Spirit would help you believe that to live this way is not compromise. It's supernatural. It's not tolerance and excusing what is wrong. It's believing God to work what is right. It's a whole new way of living, folks. But there is love and joy and peace in this way of living. He transforms who we are. Lord, all over this room, I ask you this morning, help us I know because, Lord, I am people and I know people. This affects all of us. There's nobody exempt here this morning. All of us have those who really get under our skin. All of us. We have those that mess with us in different ways. And the easiest thing in the world to do is to look and be critical and judgmental of what we think is their fault and their sin. And Lord, there there's plenty of fault and sin to go around for all of us. So would you help us, Lord, today to believe that the great work that you want to do starts in us and then you use that to help those around us. Lord, would you would you cause this week when we're really irritated or upset or frustrated would you bring to mind that, boy, that, that is an example. That is a demonstration of spectacular sin right in front of me. But God, you're at work. You're bigger than all that. You can take the wrong there and produce right in me. And God, that's what I want. That's what I ask for. That's what I believe you for. Help us, Lord, because we can't do this on our own. It's not possible. Lord, today, for those who just have bitterness, there's anger, there's hurt and wounding, there's resentment, there's fear, there's frustration, Lord, there's weariness. I pray, Jesus, that as you give them power by your Spirit to humble themselves and to pray for the one that they don't really want to pray for. That you would do supernatural, eternal work. Not just in that situation, but in situations we can't even see yet. You're not just working for today, Lord. You're working for years and years down the road if you don't come back, maybe even centuries. We can't see all that, but you do. And so we trust you. I'm going to ask some of my prayer partners just to come here to the front. We're going to dismiss here in a moment. But if we can pray for you or with you about anything in your life, we want to be able to do that. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this day. It's been a glorious day. Every time we press into you, Lord, is glorious. Who you are, you are glorious. You are awesome. You are more than we can imagine or even comprehend. And I praise you and I thank you. Go with us, Lord. Allow it, give us supernatural grace by your spirit at work in us to be able to live this way this week. And where we mess up, we just simply acknowledge and we keep on pressing in. And I pray this in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.